Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And this is the final show for the year. I've put together a group of people who I think give us a pretty good perspective on what we should be thinking about investing in 2023. And that's part of the reason why I'd like to start off with Mike Gable to look at the trends, the charts, what the charts are saying about 2023 for the markets overall and some interesting companies. And uh, Mike still likes the idea of resource stocks and the charts are reinforcing his view. Then Paul Rico has been asked to pick the two stocks he thinks will do very well in 2023. They're both interesting stocks and uh, it will pay for you to uh, heed these particular two stocks next year. Then Anthony Doyle, Fire Trail Investments, looks at the really big issues that can make 2023 a really good year for investing or might bring the year undone. Uh, I think his insights are pretty well on the positive, but he does underline the things that we have to be careful about. And finally, Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital, and he's also the fund manager of the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. This guy's an expert on what stocks pay good dividends. That's what he puts into the actual fund. But he's also a person who talks to lots of companies. I'm interested to hear what his insights are around the performance of Aussie companies and how they will then uh, produce those efforts that he thinks are pretty good right now into 2023. So that's the show for tonight. Let's kick off now with Mike Gable of Fairmont Equities. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Thanks, Peter. So I'm leading with you today because you know the, these a lot of these things that we're looking at uh, in a week where data is going to be very important. Uh, it's nice to know what the trend is telling us about the overall market mm. and some individual companies that seem to be in or out of favour. So uh, this week, you see, this is one of the most dramatic weeks of 2022. <laughs> Feels like we say that every month. <laughs> um, there's yeah, it's definitely an important week. Um, but I think the key point is uh, the market and the economy is in a better place, in my opinion, than where it was a few months ago. So if we think back uh, only till September, um, we were expecting improvements in CPI numbers out of the US. They were a little bit worse than expected. Yeah. Um, we had the currency issue over in the UK. That feels like a world away now. Doesn't it? Um, it looked like Credit Suisse was, was, was in trouble. So there was still... There's still a lot of sort of unknowns out there a few mm. months ago. Now it does look like inflation has peaked and whether the CPI numbers out of the US in a few days or so are a little bit below or, or above um, expectations, I think there is a, a trend now to see, mm. for us to see lower inflation. And the big question is, um, you know, the rate hikes, do we get another one, do we get two? Or, or are there no more mm. rate hikes? I mean, especially in the case of Australia, there might be uh, no more hikes mm. uh, from from here. So um, I think we've where we've spoken before about you know, light at the end of the tunnel. I think we're I think it is getting getting brighter. Things mm. are looking better. The next few months might be be volatile because yeah, there'll be data releases that mm. that make the market concerned. Jerome Powell has a has a tendency to, um, uh, to to try to spook the market to keep keep things in check, yeah. but <clears throat> but the hard data, the CPI, um, if that continues to trend lower, then yeah, um, yeah it's it's a, it's a positive. Yeah, okay. So uh, I must admit, thinking about what you're saying there, I, that light at the end of the tunnel. I always remember one person saying to me, "The light at the end of the tunnel might be a train coming towards <laughs> you." I, I hope that's not the case. Yeah. All right. So I always get you to start with the big picture. Yep. And I and I think. Wall Street's going to determine what's going to happen in this market here. Yep. So what is the S&P 500 telling you? Um, yeah, so we'll get stuck into the charts. Yeah. Um, S&P 500, um, look, it is just going to be treading water, I think, over the next few days. Um, our market today so far is down, might be up a little bit tomorrow. Just, I think there's just going to be a lot of noise until mm. we see... Uh, the dump of yeah. dump of data at the and end of the week. it's Tuesday so, American time, so we'll be reacting on Wednesday. Yeah. Yep. So what I've got here, um, as um, as I've shown on, on previous occasions with the S&P 500, I've got the the 200-day moving average, which is uh, closely watched, um, and this line here is the 50-day moving average. So generally, when markets are below the 200-day moving average, um, you know, there's a bit more of a, a bearish slant 
to it. Um, it's preferable that markets are above the 200-day mm. moving average. But the lines are not so important on their own. It's how markets or, or stocks react to these major resistance levels. So mm. where you might see commentary in the newspaper of, well, the market's hit its 200-day moving average and it's gone backwards, so that's a negative. It's yep. a sell. It's not that simple. Of course, we're all watching it, so in some ways it's self-fulfilling. It'll get to that line and it'll go backwards, which is what it did. Mm. It's how it reacts at these major levels. So when everyone's thinking it's a sell at that level, yeah. um, and it actually does come back sharply like it did in August, September, then you know that there's a, there's a decent wall of selling. And as we mentioned only a few moments ago, there were a lot of, a lot of things to be concerned about in September, a lot of uncertainties. I think we've moved on from that. Mm. Um, and what's interesting to see is, yes, we have come back off the 200-day moving average, but we're not falling at a rate of knots. So that's telling me that mm. for everybody that's seeing this obvious line and wanting to sell, there is a little bit of buying there. And yeah. we are still seeing it above the 50-day. So look, ultimately, the CPI in, in a couple of days' time, if it's a complete shocker, then you know we will, we will see that, that yeah. selling. But the initial signs are positive that the market's willing to hold in under that level yeah. for a little bit longer. It seems to me the, the trend in both those lines is good. The 50 days on the way up, the 200 is on the way down. Mm. And if we do get a bit of an expected number, well, that 50-day line will, will pick up on a surge and the other line will drop accordingly. So it, it all, we're in the hands of data. And that's yeah. exactly what the RBA boss said and Jerome Powell's basically implying. We're watching the data. Okay. That's, that's right. And, and look, even if, we, even if the market does decide to come back here um, after this week, Again, very important to see how it reacts near the next major level, and that's the October low. Mm. So if we see a market that, let's say it doesn't want to do its Santa rally, it decides to pull back, but it doesn't go anywhere near this low and it and it bases for a bit, then I'd, I'd also find that quite exciting because... A higher low. E exactly. That that means the market, that means this is a proper low yeah. and we're ready to see high levels. That's when you go to the, the Gable um, chest of, uh, of gold, coins and get them out and start investing. Yeah. Okay, let's go to uh, the NASDAQ, which has been, you know, it's still, I think, a you know, very bad bear market, isn't it? It's about 30% down. What's the NASDAQ telling you? So it's a very similar chart to the S&P 500, of course, but what um, some of our keen-eyed keen viewers would notice is that it, uh, it has lagged the S&P 500 recently. So mm. we've, got, we've got basically a situation here where it's trading under its 50-day moving average instead of above it. Mm. It's nowhere near the 200-day. It has fallen short. So it's telling us that there's, there's clearly not a lot of um, uh, sort of buying enthusiasm yeah. for, for tech stocks at this point in time. So the tech recovery is still way off. It's going to be a real of yeah. positive information before it changes. So we can interpret this. Um, so I suppose the bear case would be, well, hang on, if this is the risk-on market and this isn't rallying yet, then maybe we shouldn't get too excited about um, about the broader market mm. because clearly no one's looking to take on risk. But you can also think of the counter-argument to that in that, well, you know, these levels were when interest rates were zero. So, mm. you know, what do you expect when rates are coming up? Um, maybe this just bases for a while and the old, <clears throat> the old school companies do better yeah. for a period of time. I mean, the, the, the Dow Jones is all the way up here. That's, yeah. doing, that's doing very well. Yeah, so. That's real old school. But you, the point you make is, is right, that NASDAQ is down about 30% down about after being down about 35% early mm. in the year. Uh, S&P is down about 18% when it was down 25 It's had a substantial improvement. Yeah. Uh, and you're right, the, the more non-tech but still good businesses in America are doing well. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think that's a good observation. Let's go and look at uh, the Aussie market now. Yeah, so if we, again, stay on the theme of uh, you know, new, new businesses versus the old ones, well, our market, of course, involves a lot of digging stuff up out of the ground and shipping it off. Real overseas. old businesses. Real old businesses. And, and we've definitely performed a lot better than um, the US market. So, again, is this a case of... Um, you know, NASDAQ's not going up, therefore we don't have that risk on environment. Well, not necessarily because 
uh, mining stocks uh, are very much a risk on. We know that the Aussie dollar mm. um, is, is a risk on currency. So if we think of the US dollar as being the safe haven, and that explains why the US dollar has gone up so much this year. As that's unwinding, the money is flowing into Aussie dollars to flow into uh, the mining stocks because the mining stocks are leveraged to, to the recovery. So yeah. you've, you've got the argument that, that, um, that there's positioning here in the stocks that will benefit from an economic recovery next yeah. year. Obviously, China is slowly reopening in their way that doesn't make them look look too silly to their citizens, um, but they're slowly doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so our market, this is the 200 day moving average, we're above that, so that's that's a positive. Look, it is a very volatile index. I mean, I have to admit, it's, it'd be, you know, it has been very difficult trying to, trying to uh, you know, observe these turning mm. points here because it just does so quite sharply. It's harder to find setups in, uh, in our index. It's more at the individual stock level um, that, that you could see the opportunities. But, but yeah, the key takeaway for this chart is we're above the 200-day moving average. And if we get any weakness um, this week, if the numbers disappoint, um, then it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if we can hold on to that level, which is around 7,000. I guess if, if there's good China news at the time, there's bad inflation news in the US, one could offset the other. Yeah. Fingers crossed on that one. Let's do one question again. Uh, a number of times about a company called Infomedia. Mm. Um, uh, what's the chart telling you? It's not good. No, it's not I good. Didn't tell Peter, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so very much, very much in the downtrend. The way it's trading here isn't giving me any clues that there's good buying support no. coming in. And and this is a weekly chart. So the red candles mean, for example, this candle here. Uh, what that means is it opened open the week at this level so Monday morning it started at this level by Friday at the close it was down at that level so in other words sustained selling throughout the whole week and at first glance you could see well there's a lot more red candles than white candles mm. so it's telling you that the selling is in control every time it tries to rally um, it's getting sold off the the big sell signal in my opinion was all the way back here in in 2019 so so this was this was COVID, when COVID hit. We could see it already; mm. it was already underperforming before that. Now this this large red candle is what's known as a, a bearish engulfing pattern. So what happened was it gapped up uh, at a very high level, but by the end of the week, it was all the way down here. It had overcome the previous week's trading action, mm. um, and not only that, for the several weeks afterwards, it couldn't even get back to the mid range of that candle. So without going into sort of too much little detail on the, 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 the charting aspects of that. Mm. That's that's a very bearish sign and um, yeah, as we could see it's no it's buy signals to, to talk about with medium. Okay, for those people who are holding it or want to buy it, you heard it here first. Let's go to DMP or Domino's. So this one is also still in its downtrend. This is a weekly chart. Um, obviously it's come back a long way, so I can understand we might be looking for for it to bottom out. Just doesn't look like that's happening yet. Um, one thing I've noticed with, so if, if we recall back um, before this year, Domino's in some ways was being priced like a tech stock mm. um, because they have their apps or whatever well, the that's rationale right. was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was being priced like a tech stock yeah. and we could see that it, it traded like a tech stock. So. Mm. Um, That's a good point. I, I forgot we used to make that point that their competitive advantage mm. was their technology. Yeah, mm. and we can see that. Um, so the COVID lows, we're looking at a sort of a fifty dollar, forty something dollar share price, mm. um, and then at its peak last year, um, coincidentally around when um, the tech stocks peaked, it was mm. around one hundred and sixty. Mm. So it has come back a long way. But but one thing I've noticed is a lot of the tech stocks that traded like that um, have have generally come back to where they started the move. So mm. e even if we look in the US, like the ARK ETF and, mm. uh, and a, few of, a few of those others that have mm. had a massive run up and then collapsed, um, they've basically gone back to where they started the rally. Mm. And, and Domino's, well, if it was to do that, maybe it could, it could get back under $50 again. I think it's early days. I, th I think after a move like this, um, it'll, it'll probably head sideways for yeah. a while, so there's no rush. And I guess after watching that television series, Silicon Valley, all they ever do is eat pizza, those tech guys, don't yeah. they? So if the, if the industry is shrinking, yeah. less pizza eating. 
Oh, I presume. There you go. And they tried yeah. to uh, what, expand into Italy, which was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, they have done well in Europe, you know, mm. and, and also Japan. But uh, it's, it's a bit of good. The, the tech link to it is probably an interesting one. And so I'm, I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, if all that happened during a phase of, of tech, there's probably a small amount of that that could easily be mm. uh, replicated when interest rates have peaked and tech is forgiven. So that's yeah. an interesting for a long-term play if you, if you see dominoes at a, a price like this, yeah. it could be worth but it I for the long-term play. But I think that's a good point that yeah, a small part of that because if you're looking at this thinking, well, $65 for a stock that used to be 160, hmm. yeah, forget about this. It's yeah. not $160 yeah. stock. This is yeah. a zero interest rate. Yeah. Everyone going crazy in 2021. Yep. Just look at the whole NFT crypto thing. People were just buying mm. anything just because there was nothing else to buy. Yeah. So it's not going to go back to 160. So mm. if you think 65 is cheap because it's worth maybe 80 or 90, mm. okay, that, that, that sounds reasonable. But yeah. if you're buying it because you think it's at 160 again, yeah. I can guarantee it's think not going to go anywhere near that in a few yeah, years. Think again. Let's go to uh, Sonic Healthcare. SHL. Yep, so we're back to a daily chart here. This is just a one-year chart. Um, obviously, all the damage was done earlier in the year. It's still generally trending lower. Um, I'm not seeing any buy signals yet. Um, the one positive is that so far it is above the September low, so it isn't, mm. it's stopped making those lower lows. Um, but again, looking at these red candles here over the past few weeks, it it is showing a, a lot of a lot of selling pressure. So this isn't the sort of stock that um, that I'd be looking uh, I'd be looking to buy. Unfortunately, mm. it um, it yeah it does look like every time it tries to rally. You know, we could see here in mid November it took it two weeks to to put on a dollar, and then within a week it's lost about three dollars. So mm. clearly more. More buying pressure yeah. than so, sorry, more selling pressure than yeah. buying pressure. Not a healthy chart for Sonic Healthcare. No. Um, is, it, is it still called Sonic Healthcare? Is it? So, yeah, it is yeah, Sonic, yeah, Sonic Healthcare. Yeah. They're, they're really going to hospitals a big way, haven't they? Mm. Uh, as well, uh, SFR. That is Sandfire. Now, everyone wants to tell me Sandfire is still a good buy, despite the fact that you know I've missed it. Uh, what do you reckon? Well, you should have bought it uh, three weeks ago, Peter, yeah. when I was here on the show. Yeah, I, 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 so. I've been sure. I, I, I know, well, I, a lot of the experts on the show have yeah. liked Sandfire, and I yeah. just, I, I haven't bought it. I can't buy everything. But uh, I, I've, I've noticed it keeps on going, and yeah, more still... experts like it. And the, and the chart looks pretty positive, which I probably said three weeks ago. Yeah, so when, when we were looking at this chart three weeks ago, um, what I noticed here was there was an obvious support level that it broke under, um, but you had one of these rare occasions where after breaking support, it quickly recovered mm. um, and bounced strongly. So that's known as a, a false break. Usually when you see a support level break, the shares continue to head south. Yep. But every now and then you get a situation where um, what, what you've got are people dumping the stock at the last minute. They've held it through this whole period and have yep. finally given up. Yeah. Um, but they're doing so at the at the lows. So known as a false break, we've spoken about this in the past, especially with uh, mineral resources in July. Mm. On the show, we're looking at the false break. That's that's done really well. And I've got another chart later on to show a, another false break. So basically, yeah, false break, um, as soon as it ripped back above that blue line, that was the buying opportunity. Um, when we were talking about this stock, Peter, a few weeks ago, it was still trading around here. Yeah. Um, I'll point that out because it was near this old high. Yep. Um, and as we could see over <coughs> the last few weeks, it's managed to progress further beyond that high. So this is another tick yeah. um, for, for this stock being bullish because it's now put in a higher high. Yeah. So and what's interesting, mate, when you look at the $7.50 price it was, you know, before the tech sell-off, you know, copper is often related to tech-like products. Mm. Yeah, and you've still got... Um, production problems in China. China makes a lot of the stuff and therefore demand for, for copper. Now this is taking off at a time when China is starting to become a little bit more yep. helpful to the global recovery, which you've talked about. So it's, a, it's an interesting trend. The, the chart looks great. The, the fundamentals look great. Yeah. And if we do get a recovery of the global economy some, sometime this year, copper will be a great beneficiary. Yeah, that's right. And mm. um, you know, I think there's, you know, there's going to be supply issues 
with copper, and I think the whole market's starting to wake up to that. Mm. Um, yeah, demand's going to outstrip supply, I think, over the next couple of years, with BHP trying to take over Oz Minerals. Yeah. You've, you've really... They wouldn't the, be doing that space, to lose. You've got, exactly, you've got mm. BHP. I mean, obviously, the, the big miners have made some Mistakes silly in acquisitions the past, in yes. the past, but, yeah, um, but you're going to be left with, with BHP and Sandfire as the two major copper stocks on the... Yeah on the Aussie market. So look, overall, yeah, this looks great. The only point I would add is um, it's run hard in the last few days. You'd be looking for a consolidation here, but this is the sort of chart you want to see, something that has not only come down, but is, is basically yeah, on the way, on a on the way back Yeah, very strong trend, yeah. Okay, next one is an interesting one, um, Champion Iron, the CIA. Uh, and, you know, we, we always talk about BHP and Fortescue and, and uh, Rio. Mm. What what is the the champion chart showing? Looks like a champion chart to me. It's it's fantastic. Right. Yeah. So um, basically, we've got uh, big base. So where I've spoken earlier about we need to see stocks build a base mm. and move to the right hand side. This is a classic example. So you know, here you've got a falling knife. I mean, you could have bought it here, but you don't know if it's going to end up all the way down there. Yeah. You need to wait for for it to base, and that's what it's done. And then I wouldn't have bought it until it actually um, moved out of the base here. So on this particular day, it was up over 10%, um, but it was on very big volume. So even the few days prior, you could see the volume really starting to come in. Mm. And what was interesting is at the start of November was when the iron ore price hit a two-year low mm. and there was chatter that China was maybe going to reopen. And um, yeah, there were a lot of analysts out there saying, well, you know, the resources trade is over and iron ores going down and stay mm. away from the the iron ore stocks and that was when Fortescue was down at $16 mm. and, and all that but we could see that despite what the uh, the journalists are saying the real money was was stepping in and buying because we could see the volumes the reason why I would have only bought it on the gap up is because near 550 every time we got near that level there was mm. There was a whole bunch of sellers, so mm. I don't want to be buying up here only to find it comes down here and maybe continues the drop yeah. just in case. But the fact that it gapped <clears> up <throat> above that level on the open meant that whoever had their sell orders in there, there were a lot more buyers to take them out. Mm. And then throughout the day, there was sustained buying to see it close on its highs, big volume. That was the first buy signal. Um, and then you had this little consolidation, so it just cooled off with volumes just sort of easing off and then it made another sort of breakout here and that was the second buy signal. So it's it's clearly on the way now. Um, I wouldn't be buying it after a run like this. I'd be looking for another another Pull one back. of these consolidations. Mm. Um, the next the next key hurdle for it is clearly those peaks back there, which is near $8. So naturally, um, anyone holding it's looking at that and, and putting their sell orders mm. in. Up yeah, here. it's a bit like BHP around 55. Yeah, you know? so, yeah. so this is where, again, let's not get too worried if it gets up here and then has a few down days. Because naturally, it, I'd be very, very surprised if it just flew through $8 mm. um, at, at this, this rate. So naturally, people are going to sell. It's how it reacts on that selling. Again, do we see it come back sharply like this? Well, clearly there's, there's an overwhelming overwhelming selling pressure, then yeah, you know, take your profits and move on. However, it may well just do something like this. Mm. So what I mean by that is it gets up near $8, everyone's hitting sell, but there's a bit of buying, sell, buying, and you just get this sideways consolidation under the old high. Yeah. And when I see that, I'd be waiting for, uh, basically what, would, what that means is it's absorbing all the selling, and then once everyone's had their, their turn at taking profits, if it can then pop to a new high, that's your next buy signal, and uh, you'll have no sellers in front of you, so yeah. it should should make a good run. Yeah, that's, that's a bit another potential ten percent gain to the eight dollar um, price. Uh, mm. Yeah, and um, I guess your next pick actually reinforces the story for iron ore. So I always ask you to have your pick. So let's have a look at it. Yeah, so I'm, you know, as as I have been the last couple of years, still sort of overweight resources, still bullish on, on that sector. And I mm. think it's, as I said at the start of, um, start of the video, I think there's, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter. And, and I think for resource stocks, um, 
you know, if you've been sitting on the sidelines, you really need to start considering mm. uh, getting involved because I think they'll have a good year next year. Fortescue, um, as we could see, that 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 point of uh, everyone giving up on mm. Fortescue near sixteen dollars and, and calling the resource trade over uh, iron ore at a two-year low. Um, within a few days, it got back above that support level. So again, false break. That's mm. That's when we, we were buying back in for clients. Um, and as you could see, it's, I, I just think this chart looks great because you've got a very clear channel here. It broke down, got back in, that was your buy signal. And then your second buy signal is when it got to the top of, of this channel, which has mm. been in place for, for most of the year. Mm. Um, jumped above that, that channel, couldn't get sold down sharply. So clearly the buy, everyone taking profits up here um, was met with some pretty solid buying and it's on its way again. So again, what will happen is it will get close to the old, um, the old high, um, sort of around these levels. The, and the again, $23 see, one, not the $27 one. Yeah, the $23 one. And again, if we see this sort of sideways movement on lower volume, then that's where you, you look to, to use that as your next buy point. Hmm. But I think this looks like, uh, you know, longer term it should, should continue higher. So I like Fortescue. Um, I think BHP looks looks the same. Um, I'm quite bullish on that. Mm. And for something different, uh, well, for me, mm. uh, I think the gold stocks look good. So, you and know, what's your, your favourite gold stock? Looking at the charts, we've we've been buying Newcrest clients. Mm. I mean, most of the gold stocks look the same. Um, I mean, it's a sector that you know we haven't we haven't been been trading mm. for a while. And generally, when anyone asks me about gold stocks, I just I say just stay away there. They're going down, they're mm. not making you money, they're not a hedge, they're, they're nothing like that. But we've got this situation where the US dollar having run so hard is now coming back and that's, yeah. that's good for the gold price. And I think gold is starting to break out of a sort of multi-year consolidation. So yeah. this is now the point where I think our viewers can start picking up some of these gold stocks. And look, mm. it's, not, it's not something where you buy it and hold it for five years um, you know, close your eyes and, and just assume it'll be okay. Mm. It might only might only last a few months, six months. I remember 2019 when we had our last big trading gold for our clients. Uh, I think we were only in it for, for several months and then and then that was it. But mm. I think at the moment, uh, those gold stocks still look attractive at these levels. Well, you've got to promise my viewers that when you do go off gold, you'll let us know ASAP. I'll let you know. Okay, mate. Well, thanks for uh, contributing to us over the years. This is our last show. Um, yeah. And uh, I do appreciate the, um, the insights you've given us. Thank you. Look forward to next year. Yeah. That's Mike Gable, Female Equities. Well, joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. I've asked Paul to try and pinpoint one or two stocks that he thinks will do really well in 2023. So, Paul, um, do you think 2023 is going to be an easy year to make money out of stocks? I think it's still going to be a bit tough, Pete, because I don't feel that we've quite got out of the inflation interest rate cycle. I think we're going to get some better news, mm. but you know, these things are just going to be, be hard work. So there's going to be some bumps mm. along the way. So mm. I think that's going to be a little tough still. Yeah. I'm thinking the first half might be a lot slower than I want it to be, but in the second half, once interest rates uh, have, have peaked, if they do peak, mm. eventually the, 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 the extrapolation forward for stocks will mean that they'll be buying. Yep. And, and we know there's some good stocks at really low prices. So end of interest rate rises is going to be a, a real turning point, I hope, I think. So... What's the, um, the stock you like? Or well, you know me, I'm a little bit conservative, but let me go with a stock that I think uh, can do well in 2022. And it's a little down in, tw sorry, 23, and a little down in 22, and that's Macquarie Group. Mm. Uh, whereas the other banks have basically rallied back towards their highs, uh, Macquarie's sort of come off the last couple of months. Uh, and I guess that's a function of, you know, people looking ahead at the, the corporate market and thinking, okay, the, the higher interest rates means there's going to be less corporate activity, which means less activity in, in some of its trading businesses, and also maybe commodities coming off a little bit, so less hedging activity, and, and so that would impact the so-called markets part of, of the Macquarie business. Right. Now, look, all of that is, is possible, but I think that's already sort of in the price a little bit, mm. and uh, what Macquarie has proved year in, year out is that it's a, it's a pretty 
cautious in terms of uh, putting predictions out there. Yep. And it has a good history of uh, positively uh, surprising. So uh, around about $170, Macquarie got to about 210, 215. I think there's value there. It's a long-term proven performer. Uh, and I don't think there's too much downside. So, you know, I'm, I'm a sort of a, I'd rather go for the 20% stock than the stock that's going to do 150% because yeah. I think the risk on the, on, the, on the other side is probably fairly measured. Yeah, and it's paying a reasonable dividend too. Pays a reasonable dividend, look, and it's, it, look, it's, it's just too strong. So uh, it's, it's one of Australia's big companies. So I'm, that's probably my, uh, the one I'd be feel most confident about in terms of the so-called blue chip. Just a, and a couple of really speculators, and they're all from the same sector. I'll just label one, but I think that some of the the so-called diversified financials have been really beaten up. So that's some of the second and third tier lenders out mm, there mm. Uh, who are, market just hasn't wanted to touch. Mm. And probably a good example of that is a company like Prosper, mm. uh, which uh, IPO'd three or four years ago at about $2.90. It's in the low 60s. Mm. Uh, it's going gangbusters. Uh, and the market just doesn't want to know about it. And mm. uh, there's a couple others in that same It'd category. There'd be a takeover target too, wouldn't it? Well, Paul? look, I think that it's either that or maybe the, some of the owners, the founders are saying, well, maybe we'll take it private. But mm. uh, it's very illiquid. So, uh, but I think there are others in that sector. So, um, you know, so Prosper's one. Yeah. Prosper's one. And there's other companies. Just there, there's some in the smaller mid, mid and micro cap space, there's a lot of companies in different industries that are so out of favour. Mm. Uh, there's got to be some value there. It's one of the reasons why I don't mind the idea of even going for a, a good quality small cap fund manager because a lot of these small cap companies, you've made, made a point, they're profitable, they're doing well, but the market just doesn't want to buy them. Eventually they'll change their mind, won't they? They will. And, and then look, a company like Prosper is too, probably even too small for a small cap fund manager, right? Oh, because that's small, it's, it's market cap's down to 100 million or something. Right? Oh, okay. So uh, look, it's... You've probably got to go up a step, but I do agree with the point. There is unquestionably, if you look at the different performance of the market this year, small cap has done worse. Uh, it's down about something like about 20%, the mm. small cap index, versus the, 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 the ASX top 20 is, you know, about flat, maybe a percent up yeah, or so. Great. So it's all been in the top stocks, and uh, we do get mean reversion, and when the market wants to and gets a bit more confident, it will start looking again at the, at the small cap. So I think you're right. I think looking at some, uh, you might have to, might do a tough six to 12 months, mm. but just take a three year view or three to five year view, I think there's value in small caps. Yeah. That's Paul Rickard of the Switch Report. Well, joining me now is Anthony Doyle of Firetrail and uh, a really tricky time in the market, a dramatic week, I'm calling it, Anthony. Good to see you. Cheers, Peter. Yeah, do you agree it's going to be a dramatic week? Yeah, it's the kind of week that economists dream of. Um, a huge data deluge, uh, three or four central banks meeting this week to raise interest rates. Uh, it is a huge week, yeah. yeah. But to me, the critical one is the inflation number in the US. Do you agree? I think so, yeah. So market's expecting a further deceleration in that headline number from 7.7% last month. If you remember, that mm. really set markets off to the races, 7.3% yeah. expected. Okay, so anything under 7.3, do you think the market see you little beauty or do they, do they need to see more to excite them? I think just a, a deceleration uh, of that headline figure year on year. So mm. anything below 7.7, .7. the market, as I said, is expecting 7.3, but if it came in at 7.4, mm. that's not enough to rock the Fed yeah. in terms of their meeting only two days later and what they- What about 6.8? 6.8, oh, that would be uh, exceptional. Six figure, yeah. Maybe a mother get, of all Santa Claus rallies. We get that Santa Claus rally come through. I'd say it'd be a, a um, yeah, a, a high, uh, well, mid mid figure day, I'd suggest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, but, and I've got to say, this is me being an optimist. The data I've seen doesn't make me super confident it'll happen, but who knows with a statistician? Yeah. So, the, I mean, Particularly given the, the Fed's likely to step down, it looks like the Fed is far more data dependent. So looking at what the data is actually doing, whereas most of this year, they've been on a predetermined course to really raise those interest rates mm. as quickly as they can, those three quarter of a percentage point increases in order to try and get inflation under control. Yeah. And they're really concerned about high wage growth at the moment and a potential wage price spiral in the States. Mm. So when you, you look at 
the, the, the likelihood of um, the market going either way. Um, if the number is too good in terms of too low, would it um, generate fears around maybe that maybe a recession is going to be deeper than what many economists are predicting? I think that's the story of next year. Isn't it interesting as humans, we think in calendar years. Yes. Um, but yeah. I think, Peter, that's absolutely the story of next year. Yeah. How much damage has the Fed had to inflict upon the US economy in order to get inflation under control. Yeah. Um, so that would be, certainly be great news if mm. inflation was, start, it's still far too high. I mean, yeah. they're looking for, for 2% inflation yeah. and it's, we're talking about they're seven They're asking for too six. much really, aren't they? Two point, maybe three, but, but two, you know, yeah, it can yes. take a long time. So uh, that's, that's the real story of next year. That's what markets will be laser-like focused. What's mm. going on in the labor market? And famously, the last domino to fall is typically the labour market. Can the US have a recession and the S&P 500 actually doesn't go to a new low? Well, I can give you a statistic if you like, Peter. That's so. why you're here, mate. It's not because of your pretty face. Typically, when not the, the, <laughs> not that you don't have one. Just in case people uh, out there, yeah. you know, I'm being was it uh, look lookist. That's anyway. nice. Thank you, Peter. I love yeah. a nice compliment. That's but right. uh, typically, when the Fed stops raising interest rates yeah. via interest rate cycle, the yeah. S and P 500 increases by 12 percent in the next 12 months. Yeah. So it's typically again. This is going back to so now again because a lot of people are gonna love hearing this. So going one more time. So the Fed. It goes through an interest rate hiking cycle. Yep. When it eventually finishes, which we kind of think will be in the early part, say of March, March next okay. year. Yeah. Um, given we'll probably see a half a percent increase this week, yeah. then a further twenty-five or quarter of a percentage point increases in the two consecutive meetings following. Yeah. Then a pause. That's yep. what the market's expecting. If that's you, the last one. That's the last one. Typically, the S and P five hundred is up by twelve percent in the next 12 months. Yeah. And this goes back to markets being forward-looking yeah. rather than simply backward-looking, which is what GDP data is, what unemployment yeah. data is. The markets are always yeah. thinking forward. Okay, and, and of course that 12% is an average which could have come from a low of six or seven and a high of 20. The best was 30, the best was 30. 30. Yeah. And what has got me kind of excited is that I'm just simply saying, Rebound years after a bear market and a recession tend to be good. Yeah, they tend to be good numbers. And typically, the third year of a presidential cycle is Correct. also good. So there's a few things lining Coinciding. up potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so therefore, even if it's a slow start, like if the number this week for inflation is not as good as we'd like, and the market sells off. Do you reckon we'll retest those June lows, or you suspect we might go low, but not as low as the June lows? I don't think we're going to retest the June lows in the current cycle. Mm. Um, without a, 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 a recession scary. that is sig significantly worse than yeah. what is being expected at the moment. So yeah. typically, I would suggest that the US does face a recession. Yeah. It has been an aggressive rate hiking cycle, yeah. but it's likely to be mild. Um, mm. I think that inflation coming down next year which is the likely profile of what we're going to experience, yep. will give the Fed the latitude to reduce interest rates in the back end of next year. They'll be very flexible. They and have they'll excite the stock market. A dual mandate, mm. exactly. Mm. Um, and that's when you, you obviously get to the lower cost of capital, but there will be some damage inflicted on the US market in the short term mm. in order to get inflation under control. So, uh, Anthony, where do you think the US interest rates peak? Well, we're gonna get an update in uh, their meeting. So the You're Fed, so excited <laughs> too, <right? laughs> The Fed updates yeah. their forecasts and yeah, they'll, they'll publish those at, yeah. at the meeting on uh, Thursday. Uh, so it's likely that the Fed funds rate, which is their interest rate, it will top out at around 5, 5.25% is what they're telling us. Yeah, which is kind of on the high side of average. Well, I mean, Australia, so Australia famously, the RBA raised interest rates last uh, last week to 3.1%, expected mm. to get to 3.6%. Mm. So much lower than the US. Yeah. Um, the reason for that is interest rates flow much faster through our economy because we have a large book of mortgages that are variable in mm. nature, whereas yeah. the US Federal Reserve and, and the mortgage market there typically fixed rate out to 30 years. Okay. so. Uh, all this talk is only important if we can guess a 
effectively what's going to happen to stocks in 2023. Mm. So my scenario is eventually, it might not come as fast as we like, but eventually I'm expecting US stock market to rebound nicely sometime across 2023, which will help our market. Is that your fire trail assessment as well? Yeah, well, we look five years out um, going forward. Yeah, and we've That's so sad. <laughs> five <laughs> years. Come on. We want you to be right. It's issues. hard. It's hard. It's hard to be right in the Excuse short maker. term. Uh, yeah, in some time, so, well, in many cases, it's, it's easier to, to be right in the long term because yeah. stock markets Correct. rise over time. There's yeah. no wealth generating machine yeah. like the equity market. So I can tell you that there are sec certain sectors and certain types of companies that we do prefer right now for what will potentially be a difficult time ahead. Mm. Even in a rising market, there will yeah. be winners, there will be losers, and it's unlikely that the leadership of that rising market will be what we experienced over the last decade when interest rates were zero and quantitative easing, monetary printing, and liquidity was cheap. Okay, no, no sectors. So, well, we like semiconductors um, right. for a starter. You've, I'm sure you've spoken to uh, your viewers about Taiwan Semiconductor or some portfolio mm. managers have. We mm. own another semiconductor microchip manufacturer in Micron Technologies as well. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, that's fallen 45% this year. Mm. And they are absolutely dominant in the production of semiconductors, which we all, you can even find semiconductors in fridges, coffee machines, obviously your, your iPhones and your phones as mm. well. Mm. Another key sector that we like at the moment is renewable energy sources. Mm. Um, so there's a couple of companies that we like there. Uh, over in the United States, one makes renewable diesel from feedstocks such as used cooking oil and tallow fat. Mm. Uh, that is a company named Darling Ingredients, uh, which sits, sits to benefit from high energy prices. Yeah. Um, and also another company is called Archer Daniels Midland. They're a, a, a huge company, $50 billion uh, Aussie in size, so uh, a very large company, but uh, that's, the, that's the US equivalent. Mm. And they crush soybeans. Uh, so the meal is used for agricultural feedstocks and the oil is used to produce renewable aviation fuel. So they've sure. got some real good tailwinds behind them, particularly from regulatory factors. Uh, that are incentivizing companies to reduce their carbon footprint, for example. Okay, that's your international view on the Aussie market. Are we going to be helped by China you know, backing away from its zero COVID policy? Absolutely, yeah. yes, yes. So that's a, another uh, good tailwind for the global economy. Now, whilst global economic growth, the expectations from economists is actually the weakest since 1993, but recent steps in the last few weeks or so for China to step away from that zero COVID policy yep. bodes very well for the Australian economy and Australian equity markets to the extent that we will probably skirt a recession here as a result of the growth stimulus that we see, both <coughs> from China stepping away from COVID zero, taking steps to uh, uh, secure their property sector uh, and support their property sector, but also a re-emphasis on the economic growth profile for the Chinese economy as well, where they might stimulate mm. their uh, economy internally via infrastructure spending, bodes well for Australian commodity prices. Okay, so you've got China improving, um, ultimately at the end of the year, towards the end of the year, US might be cutting interest rates. What about the, the possibility and probably probability that inflation will fall pretty drastically over 2023, once China gets back to normal production, and we, a heap of their stuff, which is a supply mm. pro chain problem, yes. starts becoming a, less of a problem. Could that be a, also a surprise tailwind that we may will be underestimating at this point in time? Well, we've already seen supply chains, uh, we've already seen them resolve to a great extent already. Mm. If you're looking at freight costs, for example, um, and other mobility factors, we've seen that rapidly improve as well. And it's been the reopening trade uh, internationally that has caused uh, an increase in demand with restricted supply has seen prices shoot up. But I think, Peter, when we sit here in 12 months time and do a Christmas special for um, the Switzer show, yeah. I think we will look back on this episode and say, uh, yeah, absolutely inflation very, very high then, but I don't think it's going to be the concern that markets, that it's not gonna have the same level of concern for markets in 12 months time. Mm. Actually, they will see inflation materially decelerating yeah. back towards those four, three and a half, 3% <coughs> type levels for okay. 2024. Okay, on the subject of 
Christmas and looking for gifts. And what if that madman Putin just stops you know, bombing and invading Ukraine? Would the world economy and stock markets just love to hear the sound of that? Well, it's a huge geopolitical risk factor, uh, yeah. certainly. Either way, isn't and, it? And uh, mm -hmm. what we've all come to realise is how important Ukraine is in uh, the supply of soft agricultural commodities um, mm -hmm. for the international food chain. So whilst there's been damage inflicted, obviously, on some of that key infrastructure, that would certainly bode well, I would suggest, for risk appetite mm -hmm. um, for, for equity markets if we did see some resolution to some extent of that uh, terrible crisis in Ukraine. Okay, Anthony, thanks for joining us for, and contributing for the year, and I look forward to seeing you in 2023. Cheers, Peter. Have a great break and a great Christmas. We'll do. Anthony Doyle of Firetrail Investments. Well, up now is Marcus Bogdan, the founder of Blackmore Capital and the fund manager for the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. Um, what I, I want to know what he thinks 2023 will look like for investors and if he has a special stock that he likes for 2023. Marcus, great to see you. Terrific to see you, Peter. So how are you playing 2023? What are they going to be the, the big issues that are going to drive the kinds of stocks that you'll buy or sell? So we do expect the both earnings and the economy will slow. But so far, the economy has been incredibly resilient. Uh, and recent uh, company discussions that we've had, things have held up remarkably well. Uh, whether there's a fork in the road um, into the new year, we will have to wait and see. But on the expectation that um, interest rates will, will finally start to bite, um, we are positioned really across four themes. The first theme is defensive industrials, um, companies like Amcor, Brambles and Cleanaway. Uh, secondly, we still like the healthcare um, sector. We think that that is on the road to recovery, despite what would happen in the underlying economy, just to, to, in, to uh, um, service the, the significant backlog that we've seen in, in healthcare. Thirdly, uh, we like energy and materials. There is the expectation that China will open up in the first half of next, next year. Uh, we think that that is good for both uh, materials and, and energy. Uh, and finally, we still like the telco sectors, Spark, New Zealand uh, and Telstra, uh, providing us you know, very attractive dividend yields, which we believe that are, are sustainable. Mm. So we go into 2023, carefully, uh, but I guess the risk is that the, the economy just continues to motor to motor on. Um, but we, we do like that diversified approach across those four themes. What's your favourite stock in the healthcare sector? Uh, we still like um, both um, CML, well, there's two actually, CSL, um, which is uh, sequentially recovering their plasma volumes. And secondly, uh, we like Ramsey Healthcare. Um, I think with private hospitals, uh, the demand there, particularly for elective surgery, is significant. Uh, and so we've got that pick up there. Uh, and both of those um, companies have had depressed share prices for much of this year. The favourite um, energy and material stock for 2023? Well, we still like BH, BHP. Um, it's had uh, significant free cash flow, very, very attractive dividends for investors. Uh, and we expect that those trends will continue into 2023 as well. Uh, and we also like the energy space, Santos and Woodside. Again, uh, strong balance sheets, uh, supply constraints uh, and attractive div dividend yield. So, we can put together a materials and energy part of the portfolio, which is um, yielding well over 5%. What about a company like Bluescope? Has that ever been on your radar? And if so, is it still on your radar? It certainly is uh, on, our, on our watch list. Uh, it is a highly cyclical company, uh, but has executed extremely well over a, a number of different economic cycles. I think investors will remember that used to be part of BHP, uh, but we like their footprint in Australia, in Asia, and in the, and in the United States. 
uh, and the Inflation Reduction Act in the US, uh, which is a, a huge trillion dollar spend on, on green infrastructure, 80% of those re projects require steel. Uh, so we do have um, Blue Scope on our watch list. They've executed very well, strong balance sheet, but the price is just a little bit elevated for us at the moment. Yep. You are primarily looking at companies for dividends, but you, you also do like to get some growth as well. Is there a tech stock of any kind in your portfolio? Uh, no, no, there's not. I mean, the tech stocks that we do look at generally um, do not pay dividends and so they don't qualify for the dividend growth fund. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we do want to have prima facie companies that are paying high attractive dividends, which is sustainable. But equally, it's important for us to have companies that are actually growing their earnings and growing their dividends over, over, over time. What is the most spectacular growth stock then that obviously must pay must pay a dividend to, to, to pass the test? But what, what, what are or what is the most spectacular growth stock in your portfolio? Well, it is actually CSL. Yeah. Um, and you know CSL has demonstrated uh, you know since inception in the early 90s, that ability to grow its earnings per share. We expect it to be able to grow its earnings per share over the forecast period by um, you know, uh, double digits, and that will translate into uh, also a good um, uplift in their dividend as well. So it is one of the largest stocks on the Australian Stock Exchange, but it's still got, is underpinned that we think with uh, very, very attractive growth rates. Okay, now I haven't done my homework as I should have, particularly as it is called the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund, but as the year's nearly up, what's the dividend looking like for the year? So the dividend is still very attractive at around 5.7%, uh, and then, then you've got franking on top of that now we expect that that those dividends will be maintained uh, and 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 grow slightly as we expect to see modest earnings growth into 2023. Right, that's good. I, I'm glad you said that. If you said 3.7, I might might have had to cut it out of the interview, mate. Of course, I would never do that. But that's that's a good sign. And and the fact that you start off by saying you're talking to companies and they're telling you that the story still looks pretty strong gives you a, a feeling that dividends aren't going to be threatened in 2023? Well, we've almost had six months of this new financial year, 2023. Mm. So that's, uh, that's sort of almost dealt. Uh, and so we go into calendar 2023 uh, with still uh, good growth rates there. Right. And so our expectation is that growth could slow down but it's not evident yet and we're just looking at the facts on the ground yeah. uh that's it's showing that uh that the economy remains sound okay. underpinned by uh, you know very very strong labor markets okay mate well thanks for your insights this year have a great christmas and i'll talk to you in the new year pleasure thank you cheers peter that's marcus bogdan of blackmore capital and the switzer dividend growth fund and that's the show for tonight and for the year. Thanks for joining us over the year. We look forward to seeing you in 2023 and we're keeping our fingers crossed that the market will do the right thing. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'll see you in 2023.